Hey guys, it's Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Annapolis. Start your 2024 off right with some new clothes from Leon Tailoring. Something new, something tailor made, something ready made, or something custom made. They got the finest in men's and ladies' apparels, and they also take care of you as well. They've been around for almost so near 100 years and some change, and don't stick around that long unless you're getting it right. So get it over to Leon Tailoring. Tell them Abdul sent you, and they'll take care of you. Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware in downtown Indianapolis. Well, uh, the political season is officially here. Session is underway, and so we're spinning down, taking a few minutes to talk to uh, Lieutenant Governor Sam Crouch, who's also a candidate for Governor Samantha. Lieutenant Governor, thank you very much for being with us. Hopefully your New Year's off to a good start. It's, it's going to be a good year, 2024. Uh, so how's the campaign going so far? Campaign's going great. We like where we are. We have a path to victory, and, um, you know, all we have to do is execute. And quite honestly, out of all my opponents, out of all the candidates, I'm the only one that has a bold plan to move Indiana forward. Uh, we're going to start by eliminating the state income tax. We're going to axe the tax. And we have an opportunity to put thousands of dollars into the pockets of Hoosiers every single year, you know, and the average Hoosier makes about $60,000. That's almost $2,000 in their pockets every year. So we have an opportunity to do that. Now, it's interesting to me, Abdul, that special interest groups, big spending bureaucrats, and my opponents are screaming bloody murder and saying it can't be done. But quite honestly, that money's not theirs. It's yours. And you will always spend it more wisely than the government will. In fact, when my opponents are saying it can't be done, what they're really saying is, Government needs more of your money, and you need less. Now, it's not going to be easy. We have to phase it in. We have to have triggers in place to protect against economic downturn, but we can absolutely do it. As vice chair of the House Ways and Means Committee, former, and as former auditor state, we can do it. And so how do we do it? In fact, Indiana's been doing it already on kind of not a regular basis, but from time to time. So as you know, in 2027, our income tax rate is going to go from 3.1 to 2.9%. I'm saying let's accelerate that. Let's make it a priority. We do it by limiting the growth of government. We do it by ending wasteful government spending. And we do it by finding efficiencies in government. The Tax Foundation, a think tank out of Washington, D.C., ranks Indiana 10th in the country for our overall tax environment. Some of the states ahead of Indiana either have no sales or income tax. So when we get rid of that income tax, not only are we going to keep Hoosiers in our state, but we're going to bring people to our state and have them move here because today they're moving to no-income tax states like Tennessee, Texas, and Florida. But we also have to realize that we have to find efficiencies in government, and it's why I want to modernize state government. Take our 100 agencies, boards, and commissions, and get them down to under 30. Totally realign how we do government to be able to realize some of those efficiencies that save taxpayers money, but also make us more user-friendly and make our government work for people instead of people feeling like they're working for the government. Uh, so we will look at how we can boldly lead Indiana into the future. Uh, we'll start by eliminating the state income tax, and then we will continue to look at how we modernize state government, how we look at totally reinventing education and workforce training here in Indiana. So let me give you an example on that. Uh, we have early childhood education which I'm a big proponent of, housed in FSSA. 
We have K through 12 education, a standalone agency. We have higher education, standalone agency. We have workforce training in DWD. And then we have the IEDC with economic development. So I'm saying let's pull out early childhood education, take K through 12, higher education, pull worker training out of DWD and a little bit of economic development. Now let's create an agency. Everyone's on the same software system. No one's operating within their silos. They're all rowing in the same direction to create a cradle-to-career education system where every child is ready for that next step upon graduation, whether it's employment, enlistment, enrollment, or apprenticeship. Uh, we need to be able to focus and put a priority on mental illness and addiction because that affects our families. It affects our workforce. We've seen a 20% increase in anxiety and depression among our population since COVID, but we've seen a 60% increase among young people. I don't know if it would surprise you, Abdul. It surprised me when I learned that in the past six months, one out of seven high school boys and one out of four high school girls have contemplated suicide. It's the third leading cause of death among young people, and that's the future of Indiana. So as governor, I will look at how we can create more private-public collaborative partnerships to be able to address this issue, including with all kinds of organizations, including also our, having our faith-based organizations playing a role also, because it's important that we address the mental illness and addiction that is taking place here in the state of Indiana. Uh, you talked about uh so the accident tax spoke to a number of lawmakers uh, who involved the budget process. They seem very skeptical, uh, almost sort of cynical that it can be done. So how do you how do you do that uh, while still maintaining services? Because as you know as well as I do, that uh, half the income tax goes towards education and uh, funding for Medicaid. Well, we do it because we phase it in. And we have triggers in place to protect against economic downturns. It's not something new. I mean, it's something that we have had those kinds of triggers in place when we have other initiatives. So it's not going to happen overnight. But what I'm saying is when we find ourselves with excess surpluses in revenues, let's look at directing them towards eliminating that income tax. And over time, we can get it done. And that makes Indiana attractive to other people that want to move here, but it also puts money into Hoosiers' pockets, which quite honestly, with the high cost of living, with inflation and Bidenomics, Hoosiers are struggling. I was in Winnemac a couple of weeks ago, and an elderly gentleman with tears streaming down his face talking to me about how can he afford to pay his rent and pay for the prescriptions for his wife. We need to give people money back, and this is a way to do it. Uh, one of the things, too, uh as you were, were you well aware of, uh, be a part of the administration, we got the, the bad news from the Budget Forecasting Committee about Medicaid funding and a billion-dollar shortfall. People were trying to figure out what exactly happened. Did somebody forget to carry the one or put the decimal in the wrong place? Uh, when you want to eliminate the income tax, how does something like that impact something like the Medicaid shortfall that we're experiencing right now? Well, again, Abdul, we have triggers in place that will protect against us doing it when we have those kinds of things, those kinds of events take place. So that is an extremely important part of eliminating the state income tax because we want to ensure services. And let me be perfectly clear, I'm talking about a tax cut. I'm not talking about a tax replacement. So when we look at how we can limit government growth, 
how we can find wasteful government spending, find efficiencies in government, take those savings and those surpluses and being able to direct it towards eliminating the state income tax, we can get it done. We're talking to Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch, also a candidate for governor uh, here in 2024. Talk about the, the race as well as uh, her job as Lieutenant Governor. Uh, one of the things, Madam Lieutenant Governor, is, of course, workforce development, uh, education. One of the big things that we have a lot of, lots of jobs announcement, IEDC had a sort of record job announcement. But the question has always been, do we have the workforce to fill these high-tech, high-wage jobs uh, that are coming? What is, what is a Suzanne Crouch plan to, to fill those positions with those high-tech, high-wage workers? Well, we start by eliminating the state income tax. <laughs> you know, I mean, honest to goodness. I mean, if we want to keep people here in Indiana and we want to get people to Indiana, we want to grow our population and grow our workforce, there's no better way to do it than by eliminating the state income tax. But we also have to look at our workforce development programs. We have some 13 to 15 workforce development programs that are housed in up to five to seven state agencies. You know, I say we look at how do we get that down to a couple and how do we get one or two agencies to oversee it so that we have more synergy, so that we're doing a better job of being able to get those children and get those current workers prepared for those opportunities that those jobs are going to bring. But we also do it by looking at how we modernize education pulling workforce training out and putting it with education so that every child and every adult is ready to take advantage of those jobs that are coming into Indiana. Uh, we're taking a few months to talk to Suzanne Crouch, uh, candidate for governor and also lieutenant governor. Uh, Chinese uh, influence uh, in the country. I know that's uh, got a lot of folks concerned. Uh, what is your plan to deal with sort of Chinese influence? And uh, I know there's been some states where they want to ban Chinese companies from uh, owning property in the state. That gets into the Constitution, the Commerce Clause, and all of the fun stuff. So how do you how do you deal with with sort of sort of the threat to China to Indiana? Well, as lieutenant governor, I serve as Secretary of Agriculture. And the Indiana State Department of Agriculture is undertaking a survey right now to determine how many acres have we lost of our farmland from 2010 through 2022. Now, what I have also asked them to do is let's look at the economic impact of that lost farmland. And then let us document who has purchased that lost farmland and are they companies or corporations that have ties to unfriendly countries to America and to Indiana. And so... You know what? We've got to admit it. China is not our friend. And so they can buy our crops, but we don't want them buying our farmland. And so that is extremely important, what we find out from that and then the steps we take forward. But it's not only about our farmland. I mean, China is coming in and and trying to jeopardize our national security. You know, we had drones flying over our country, you know, as governor, I'd take that pretty seriously and make sure they weren't flying over Indiana. But in addition to that, as lieutenant governor, I played a key role in terms of being able to get and led the effort to be able to put together the stakeholders to buy thousands of acres that butt up to Crane Naval Warfare Center to be able to protect that land from China or other countries being able to purchase it and being able to spy on what we have know is an important military installation here in Indiana. So, you know what, I'm not just talking. I am actually delivering results. And as governor, I'll continue to deliver results for Hoosiers. 
and wonder. protect us from China. You know, and when it comes to TikTok, I'll take every legal effort to ensure that TikTok doesn't come in here and claim the minds of our children. You know, so like I said at the beginning, we have to be clear, China is not our friend. Uh, a little bit close to Indiana, the Leap District, uh, up in Tippecanoe County, the issues with water and water rights, and the government sort of put everything on hold with respect to water study. What is your position on the Leap District, uh, particularly when it comes to Tippecanoe County, the Wabash River and the aquifers and all the, the water that's needed to fund a project in Boone County? You know, as a former <clears throat> local elected official, I was a former county auditor and a former county commissioner down in the Evansville area. And in visiting with those local elected officials, um, hearing their concerns over the lack of transparency and the lack of collaboration with them makes me understand that we need to take a different direction with economic development. Because quite honestly, government, this is a government of the people. And every dollar that comes to government has a name and a face attached to it. So when we're talking about spending taxpayers' dollars and billion-dollar economic development efforts, we need to have the kind of transparency that then leads to accountability. And so one of the things that I believe needs to happen is that we need to have our government be more transparent. You know, we need to have better collaboration with local elected officials. It's why, in my mind, we need to change our economic development model from a top-down, state-driven, paternalistic effort to one that really partners with local economic development organizations. And as a state, we need to look at how we can better strengthen them so that we can have a more collaborative, unified effort in terms of going after these big con co big companies. Uh, speaking of local government, that's always an interesting question I always had about <clears throat> being here in Indiana. Uh, we talk about local government, local control, decisions being made at the local level, but at the same time, it's almost like the state still tells local governments what it was almost like a parent who's got an adult living at home. Okay, you're an adult, but you got to be back in the house by 11 o'clock at night. What is a good relationship between state and local governments? Well, I've been in local government. I've also been a state representative. And I'm currently, as lieutenant governor, president of the Senate. So it's always kind of amused me that, you know, the state's in control, in, in favor of local home rule when they're in favor of local home rule. Everybody's in favor of local control until they're not. <laughs> and so, I, but I think it's extremely important because we know that we all move forward better when we're moving forward together. And so we need to move away from an adversarial in terms of economic development, an adversarial of state knows best effort, and we need to look at how do we partner with our local organizations, economic organizations, and then how, how are we more transparent so people know where their tax dollars are going. Uh, final, uh, a couple of final questions as we wrap up our conversation here. Uh, grassroots support. Uh, the polling shows Mike Braun's technically ahead. Right now, you're in second place. Uh, Brad Chambers, Eric Doden, Curtis Hill, sort of third. Uh, how is your grassroots support out there? How do you how do you win the nomination? Well, I, I, I'm assuming you've seen all the endorsements, local endorsements. I actually had one from a Scott Township Advisory Board member today. So I'm getting local endorsements, and we'll get them from elected officials all over the state of Indiana. I think that speaks to my strength. You know, when it comes to grassroots organization. You know, I've been a local elected official. I've been in the legislature. I've been in the executive branch. No candidate, no candidate in this race has the local and state executive and legislative experience like I have. And I understand from being in local government 
how important it is to have that collaboration with the state when we look at moving projects forward and we look at moving our state forward. And so I've often kind of kidded that every, every uh, legislator should probably have come from the local elected official position so that they understand how what the state does affects them. I mean, we all the time are upset with the heavy-handedness of Washington, D.C. and the federal government when they intrude into our lives and when they put in place restrictions or initiatives that actually affect how we're able to do business here. We have to appreciate the same thing can occur from the state to the local level. We have to be sure that we're partnering and collaborating and working together. Uh, final question for you. Uh, obviously, you're lieutenant governor. You were picked at a slating at a, a nom- at the Republican convention in uh, June, July. Uh, there may be a contested uh, lieutenant governor's race. Uh, Micah Beckwith has uh, filed to run for lieutenant governor. Maybe a couple other folks get involved. However, uh, the, the governor's picked in a May primary. The lieutenant governor's picked at a, at a convention. Uh, is it maybe time to change it, or would you maybe like sort of announce like, hey, who's who, here's who I would want for you know my lieutenant governor? Just to make sure that the governor and lieutenant governor are both on the, on the same page and the right match for each other. I think the system's set up because we respect the power of the people to make the right decisions. And delegates are there because they're representing the people that have elected them to be there to make those decisions. So I think we absolutely have a process in place that picks the best lieutenant governor, uh, and we need to continue that process moving into the future. It's how I was picked. It's how lieutenant governors have been picked. And we need to recognize and support the power of the people to be able to make those decisions. Right. Madam Lieutenant Governor, uh, Susanna Crouch, candidate for governor. As always, thank you very much for with us. Have a good 2024. We'll see you across the street next week. I'll look forward to 2024. Thank you. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.